John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 795.2CH2811, certificate number 49382, missing in action. We categorically deny that there are any living MIA Vietnam. Wrong answer. It's dramatic. Dun, 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 dun. Oh no, you know what missing in action it should be like. This is the end. My only friend, the end. Oh, we, we got such an 80s Vietnam vibe going on right now. I guess Apocalypse Now is 79. This is all about the Vietnam War as experienced in the 1980s, when really the war was at its peak. Yeah, we were refighting it in a, with like, more fi- finally. More Time Magazine covers about Vietnam in the mid 80s than in the early to mid 70s, for sure. This was a reoccurring theme on uh, my l- late lamented podcast, Friendly Fire, because we watched a lot of those 80s Vietnam movies where the whole conflict was completely relitigated by, like, I don't you know, you, you'll get to it, I'm sure. I but. will. Like Rambo literally says in First Blood 2, do we get to win this time? Yeah. Like it's- Do we the, get to win this the time? Subtext beco- <laughs> That's good. The subtext becomes the text in First Blood 2. <laughs> it sure does. Does uh, your late father, may he rest in peace, or you, you should do it during the whole show. Saigon. I'm still in Saigon. Uh, he was a little older than most of your peers' dads. Does that mean he was of a generation that got called up neither for World War II or Vietnam? Was he right in the middle? No, my mother was uh, the silent generation, born in 1934. I'm sorry, my mother is, because she's still alive. So her, all of her classmates went to Korea. Um, but my dad fought in World War II. Yeah. He was in the Naval ROTC at the University of Washington in 1940, and so was already you know, headed to Navy flight school uh, by the time uh, Pearl Harbor. Conversely, both my grandparents, both my grandfathers fought in World War II. And my grandmother, who was a, who was a Marine, an early, there was limited ways to, be, to be a woman Marine in the 1940s. I think she was, she got in via some kind of uh, hospitality right. USO angle. She was always showing Clark Gable and Tyrone Power into the, you know, <laughs> where the bomber sits and stuff. Yeah, my dad was a pilot and, and throughout the Pacific Theater, so he... Um he flew C-47s. Whereas my parents, uh, 
And my wife's parents and a lot of the parents of my friends were dealt with the Vietnam era draft. So they, they're boomers. Yes. Yeah. But I mean, my dad was. Sorry to, I mean. (laughs) You, you heard, you heard me struggle to say it. We have to apologize in advance for what the boomers did. My older brothers and sisters are boomers. So, um, my dad was already the, like the old man, you know, he was the, the old school FDR Democrat that was dubious of the anti-war movement and took, took several years in the mid sixties to get his head around the idea that the U S could be engaged in a foreign conflict that wasn't justifiable and righteous. And then I think in about 1968, well, Tet offensive era yeah. He finally saw like, oh, wait a minute, we're on the, are we the baddies? You know, he had that moment. And then I think he always struggled to side with the boomers because they're they're the most dislikable generation. Well, it's nice that we do this podcast kind of bridging that generation gap between a boomer like you. Stop it. And a, and a Gen Xer <laughs> like me. I'm, I am firmly, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. All of our listeners are like, yeah, we know you're Gen X. You say it every two episodes. Despite having a greatest generation dad and, and boomer siblings, asterisk, you somehow are not. Asterisk, I am definitely not. (laughs) I hated my boomer siblings even when I was two years old. The, like my, uh, dad was exactly the right age to get called up. He, uh. The the draft lottery in sixty eight and sixty nine and seventy worked by birthdays, right? If you'll recall, every the the three hundred and sixty six days of the year, including February twenty ninth, were each written on a little piece of paper and put into I think some kind of plastic bubble. I'm picturing the kind that came out of the old dollar gumball machines that had a, <laughs> a crappy little cracker jack toy. Ding, dong, ding. That those were all shaken around in uh, shoe boxes by some selective service employee and then dumped into a jar where they were drawn one at a time. Wow. And that ordered all 366 days of the year into the order in which the people born on that day would have to go find Vietnam. That makes perfect sense to me. The perfect system. You know, we already had computers by that point. <laughs> you wouldn't trust a computer. That's true. But this was not a, a, a comely woman uh, after the news drawing ping pong balls either. This, I, I assume this was all in a... Some guy with a crew cut in a, in a, a, a Quonset base, hut. Basement office in the <laughs> Pentagon somewhere. The most trustworthy place on earth. So my oldest brother, David, went to Canada, dodged the draft, smoked marijuana. In, and- in that order? Yeah, probably in a different order. I think order. he probably smoked marijuana first and then was like, you know what? Burned his draft card, made the peace sign, grew a long beard, looked like Phineas Freak of the Fabulous Furry Freak Brothers. This is not actually something, this is something that happens in a Tom, in a Forrest Gump movie. It really happened in the case of my oldest brother. And uh, and by his protest, the, the United States lost the war in Vietnam. That's... I mean, that's what the Hawks were saying. Well, the reason why the war was going badly was because there was not support at home, which is kind of the story of this, a lot of the propaganda in this entry in the omnibus, actually. Um, my dad was born on August 19th, so he got a- August 19th. Uh, 1949. Oh, yeah. So, oh, right in, the, right in the early thick of it. So he withdrew draft number 311. He was, he was pretty safe. My brother David, also born in 1949. He, uh, oh, so yeah, we're totally of the same generation, given that my my dad and your brother were born on the same day. Totally, the math totally works. Listen. 
Is this a Hilbert Hotel where you can, <laughs> you can move everybody over <laughs> one room and John gets to be Gen X? Half brother. The uh, he he also got deferments for uh, before the lottery. He got deferments for college and then a ministerial deferment oh, no. because he served a Latter Day Saint mission. And that oh okay all right and sure. ru- routinely kids serving on Mormon Mormon missions uh, in the Vietnam era could defer their service. And then you know the the protests over the bad look of um, we're just going to send non college kids to die in the jungle. That took a while to to dawn on people. Yeah, I mean, uh, white America was not the most uh, didn't have the most inclusive view of the country at the moment. It was dispro- that seemed fine. The the the, uh, the soldiers were dispro- disproportionate. Uh, they were uh, disproportionately. Uh, they were uh, disproportionately poor. They were disproportionately uh, black or brown. Other minorities. Because um, college kids could get deferments. Native American. Basically, it was no different than, yeah, and a ton of Native American kids. So it was no, really no different than the Civil War era riots where you could just buy your way out of the right. military. Except you, do, you, except you could do it with a semester at Dartmouth, which then cost $175 or, or whatever it right. was. Now there's not a draft, but there is a there is a pronounced class distinction between who joins the military and who goes and gets a degree in sociology. That is true, and it exacerbates a lot of problems. The uh, my wife's dad has an even better story, which is that he his number was not so fortuitous, and he got called up. He went, he got sent in for his physical, but it was uh, it was like the guy's last week on the. I've heard him tell the story. It's like the guy's last week on the job, and it was also uh, Nixon era. Late period, very late period. Vietnamification of the war, right? Vietnamization. What did what did the Vietnamization. what did the Republicans say? Yeah, Nixon had a secret plan to end the war. It went yeah. great. And it went great. <laughs> we, we are not we are not in Vietnam. It worked. So, are you saying that his doctor like gave him a you know smudged the the serial number on the form? Basically, I mean, it, it wasn't all made up. He was like, "Hey, you got flat feet," and my father in law does have flat feet. He's like, "Yeah." You've seen them. Oh yeah, I've got pictures. Do you want to see? <laughs> go, go on, to, go on Google. Saver. Google Ken's father-in-law feet. Well, let's see what happens. And uh, and the guy said, "I'm not." I mean, it, it, this also sounds like it's from a Forrest Gump movie. I'm not sending one more kid over to, to that. Yeah. Oh, so he that. was a peacenik, peacenik doctor. Well, I mean, I think he's a selective service guy, but he's burned out on sending kids to Vietnam. And so the first uh, thing that shows up, Ken's father-in-law's feet, is the Wikipedia entry for uh, for is it for the, Fallen Arches? No, for the actor Raymond Herbert Wise, uh, best oh, Laura known Palmer's dad. as Laura Palmer's dad. Spoilers. Let's see how far down do we have to go before we find him in a Vietnam movie? Why do we think that uh, Ray Wise comes thing. up for Ken's father-in-law's feet? I don't know. He was in RoboCop. Ken's father-in-law. Oh, he went well. Kent State that has the word Ken in it. Does he play Ken Cosgrove's father-in-law? He does. He he plays Ken Cosgrove's father-in-law on Mad Men, or did? There you go. Mystery solved. But do we get to see Ray Wise show feet? <laughs> I don't see his feet. It's a good. It's this is a this is top quality podcasting though. Uh, I'm trying to find his. He's surely. Is in a Vietnam era film. He was he was working that era. What is Season of Fear? No, that's some sex thing. Yeah, Whoa. I think I think you're going to find him in more of those evasive action. That's got Roy Scheider in it. I know he's. No, these are all in the 90s. Anyway, moving right along. 
So uh, he was 4F on account he of his four F on account of his feet, which was baloney, basically. Yeah. But I mean, if not for little, if not for little accidents of fate, like that doctor being fed up that afternoon and being two weeks from retirement and getting too old for this, shit, or my dad drawing, born on a day where he draws three eleven. I mean, I don't know if I would exist, let alone my kids. Not born on the fourth of July, your dad. I wonder where the fourth of July came up. He, uh, I was talking about this yesterday, and he thought that February 29th had come up weirdly early, but that turns out to be an urban myth. Oh, really? Yeah, February 29th was never never topped the charts. Is that a thing where... Um, I mean, the Pentagon would be bummed if February 29th, you know, because you get, you get a quarter <laughs> as many uh, uh, cannon fodder kids that day. Right. Psych. Well, uh, okay. So so not, neither of them went to Vietnam. We should stipulate that neither you nor I have been in the armed forces. Been in the shit. We have not been in the shit or in the typing pool. <laughs> we have not been in the boonies? <laughs> we have not. Because, uh, again, you and I get all our Vietnam slang from the, pop, the Vietnam pop movies. culture boom of the mid-1980s. That's right. Uh, so, yeah. So we are... You know, our far future audience is only vaguely aware there was a series of colonial wars in Indochina in the 20th century. I did do a a, tour, was, a USO tour, and I've had people thank me for my service. Oh, that's nice. So, I don't know how, you know, how that's. I'm trying to think if I've ever been thanked for my service, even ironically. <sighs> On the internet, surely someone <laughs> has tweeted you, but you don't, you didn't see their tweet because you only <laughs> see, uh, see blue check tweets. Sending a factual correction to some tweet was I thanked for my service. Thank you for your service. There are 81,600 United States servicemen still missing in action. What? 81,600? Or uh, when I say missing in action, I mean... Unaccounted for. Not all I think from might Vietnam. Be Pentagon speak. Eighty-nine percent are from a single war. Do you want to guess the war? World War One. World War Two. Oh, uh, I don't know. Yeah, these numbers might postdate World War One. I. I, I don't know where the arithmetic starts. Eighty-nine percent were were missing in action in World War Two. A lot of them shot down over the Pacific. Yeah, or you know, on the USS Indianapolis. Buried, yeah, eaten by sharks, or buried uh, hastily somewhere uh, on a European front, and then, for whatever reason, never recovered. Efforts are ongoing to identify, find and identify these remains. Last year, uh, 41 servicemen were identified from Korea alone. Really? Yeah. Positively identified through DNA. Yes. Korea was a particular problem. I mean, that, the main reason why there's more from World War II than from Vietnam is because more soldiers fought in <laughs> well that <laughs> and also better identification technology oh, right. um fairly shortly after the fact um the the problem with korea was that you know in world war ii a lot of these hastily buried cemeteries the office you know the the military said well when we retake this land we'll rebury these men with honors and in fact they did retake the land and bury the men with honors at Chosin Reservoir, that land is now, you know, like 100 miles from the Chinese border and, spoilers, was never recovered by UN forces. Right. And so a lot of these, you know, how, how many Marines died at Chosin Reservoir? Like over a thousand, yeah, right? Yeah, big battle. Um, so a lot of those cemeteries were just never never came back into Western hands. And, um, and they were, I mean, they were buried. Yes. It's, I mean, yeah. obviously... It's not like vultures. No, it's, yeah. but it's hurried, unmarked, probably shallow graves, frozen, frozen ground, 
uh, icy winds from Siberia and the Gobi Desert whipping down across the Yalu River. So in, in, in I've seen mash, including uh, Republic of Korea soldiers. There were over ten thousand casualties at Chosin. Um, and By the then, way. And then another 7,000 Marines uh, affected by the cold. And the fact that all that land is still North Korea um, complicates efforts to, to repatriate and identify these remains, even though there have been initiatives over the years to do some of that. Speaking of that battle, I believe it's that battle, which the Chinese call Changjin. Isn't there a movie? Yeah. Do you remember? Like, did you see this a couple months ago? Like the big movie theaters downtown were playing this big budget Chinese movie yeah. about the heroic battle of what they call battle of Lake Changjin, what the Marines would call Chosun reservoir. This is the new exciting trend in American popular culture where we, uh, where all of Hollywood is kowtowing to the Chinese film. I don't think we market. can say kowtow. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> all, of Chi- all of Hollywood is, um, genuflecting to the Chinese market. Uh, and not, generally that's, you know, to bring in a, a, a Chinese movie star playing the, uh, a love interest or a Chinese scientist, or there's a, some movies have a set piece that can be pulled in or out of the movie, depending on where it's showing. Uh, here's a plot. Here's a subplot of Iron Man that's happening in Shanghai. But the, the, but the, the Chinese army is no longer the bad guy in a lot of, right. And in this movie explicitly, they're the good guys fighting the evil imperialist, uh, <laughs> United Nations. Uh, <laughs> I hate those guys. Uh, and this is a, this is a massive propaganda, Effort and it's directed by um, some of the best uh, Chinese directors of their generation, Chen Kai Gei and Sui Hark. And, you know, these were all the uh, what do you call that? Uh, Chinese new wave directors of the eighties and nineties, and mm-hmm. now they're, I guess, their families lose their their uh, what Lincoln Town Cars uh-huh. if they don't direct the Battle of Lake Changjin, which is showing at. Uh, a bunch of Seattle theaters for Chinese American audiences. I, I missed it. I don't know. Maybe it's great. I, I missed it too. Although I did see a lot of those productions, Korean and, and Chinese productions of war movies that kind of recast the story. Well, they're fed up. Yeah. You know, big international hits where they're the bad guys for, for 50 years. I can't wait to see all the, all the Japanese, uh, like, like third wave Japanese films where, they're the good guys in World War II. Well, you just got to you just got to wait for like Afghanistan to get its film industry going again. Oh yeah. Then you're going to see Actually, some, I would buy that story. Yeah, I'd, I'd be really interested to see Iraq or Afghanistan from a, the rising generations point of view. Yeah. You know what I love in those movies is the, all the the white actors because they're not actors, you know. Like in some of these movies you get Matt Damon to play the lead, but in a movie in a propaganda movie like this it's just going to be the guys that are there teaching English. It's going to be somebody teaching English. <laughs> and you, if you watch an old Jackie Chan movie, you get the same vibe. The guy playing the the British colonial cop is just, you know, did not exactly go to the London school of drama. You know, <laughs> the, um, why are we talking about? Oh, right. So to this day, um, the Pentagon has a hundred million dollar budget plus for finding and repatriating, uh, Soldiers' remains. You know. The military culture is is of one mind on this. Never Let's, leave a man behind. Right. Never leave a person behind. Let's call it that now. A soldier. What? What, what do they say? Let's say soldier. Never leave a soldier behind. Um, but this was not. If, if they were a CIA pilot, leave them behind. 
<laughs> we can neither confirm nor deny. They get a star on the wall, but no the, name. The IM force will disavow all knowledge of your actions. Oh yeah, are they? Do they get a name on the wall? No name. There's no name on that wall. Does it just say? Is there a part of the wall that just says John Doe, John Doe, John Doe, John Doe, John Doe? I think John Doe, some John of Doe. them are named. It's the secret ones that 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 don't get it. That don't get named. I mean, they're named somewhere. Surely wouldn't be a secret anymore. They're named somewhere. Surely. They're somewhere they somewhere are all the called Shirley. Shirley, 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 Shirley. So this was not, but this was not always the case of this vast phalanx of military and military family culture built around never leaving a soldier behind. Is that uh, right? It wasn't a thing. In the early days of the war, the Johnson administration was very secretive about prisoners of war and how, you know, specifically the the terrible mistreatment they were receiving, you know, the flat-out torture that, that American POWs were getting in in Vietnamese prisons and prison camps. Well, I've seen Deer Hunter. I know what you're talking about. You know about. what's going on. Yeah, they're in a bamboo cage. We're going to have James Stockdale in this story, and this is a guy who spent the war hitting himself in the head with a stool and cutting his forehead open with a razor so they couldn't put him on TV doing propaganda. Uh, and they were doing much worse stuff than that to him for seven years. Um, and for obvious reasons, trying to portray this as a minor winnable uh, special operation, the Johnson administration did not want the public thinking about that. Right. So they, in, far from a, uh, we got to support our boys in prison, it was like, what boys in prison? The families didn't love that. So this story, you could date back to, not to Sylvester Stallone going into the jungle, but January 7th, 1970, when a woman named, a Florida woman named Mary Hoff makes a phone call to Annan Flagmakers in New Jersey. Her husband, Michael Hoff, was flying a Sidewinder A7A Corsair. Does that sound right? It does. Taking off from the USS Coral Sea uh, for a some kind of strafing run over Laos. Do you say Lao? I say, I say Laos for the country and Lao for the people. I believe even for the country, the S is like a westernized edition. Really? But we'll say Laos <clears throat> for the exact reason you name uh, his, his, uh, plane is shot down, uh, other pilots report a flash, which could be associated with a, a pilot ejecting. Right. So as a result, he is listed as missing in action from 1970 till 1978 when, uh, the Pentagon finally, um, finally officially proclaims that he's dead. I, I want to say that <clears throat> Sidewinder is, uh, what the air to air missile is called. And the oh, airplane. It's, oh, it's a, is a is a. Um, sorry, it's an A seven A Corsair, but it's loaded with sidewinders. Sidewinders are the air missile. to air missiles. Yep. That makes sense. Um, and his widow Mary is upset with the kind of stonewalling she gets from the government, the lack of visibility about this issue, and she hears about an organization that Stockdale's wife Sybil has founded called the National League of POW MIA fam- Families. This is as early as nineteen seventy. Yeah. Um, and the uh, Sybil Stockdale, I mean, James Stockdale was in a prison camp for seven years. Wow. And I guess the funny thing about him, I mean, in addition to him becoming a 90s pop culture symbol, when, I mean, Ross Perot is going to come into the story like he always does. He sure does. And he will name James Stockdale his running mate for his third party run in 1992, which led to the funny spectacle of this retired vice admiral sharing a stage with Vice President Dan Quayle and Senator Al Gore and giving one of the all-time great sound bites. What does he say? Who am I? Why am I here? 
I know what you're all wondering. Who am I? Why am I here? Ouch. And, you know, and he was, it was kind of just a funny way to get into his resume. Right. But the clip was just, the clip was always shown shorn of any context. Who am I? Why am I here? Yeah, it's a a, a version of please clap. <laughs> and really, America was asking the same question. Um, but... Perot had chosen him because he was such a powerful symbol. And the interesting thing about Stockdale is he was present for the Gulf of Tonkin incident. And then two days later for the Gulf of Tonkin incident in air quotes. Right. And he was well aware that the, that the August 4th um, shooting had been nothing. Wait a minute. Are you, are you part of this conspiracy that feels like <laughs> the Gulf of Tonkin was a drummed up thing? This is a show about Vietnam era conspiracies, but... Unfortunately, this one is now pretty clear that uh, there were no, we were shooting at nothing on August 4th right. and, and Stockdale was well aware. He was there. And he was afraid that they were going to get this out of him in, uh, what's the real name for the Hanoi Hilton? The Hoa prison? Hoa prison. Is that right? Hoa prison. And cause he was, you know, one of, he was a captain at this point. Captain Stockdale was aware that, you know, his captors could not get this out of him because that would be used for propaganda purposes. And he was still flying, even though he was a, even though he was a naval captain. He was the highest ranking prisoner of war, I think at any point in, uh, in Vietnam, the Vietnam era. So his widow, Sybil, with another military, uh, wife, did I say widow? His wife, Sybil, along with another military spouse had formed the National League of POW MIA families. Let's see. She's actually the bigger, she was actually the bigger lobbyist. Along with another POW wife named Evelyn Grubb, they founded this organization. Um, and frustrated military spouses and parents and families would start to find their way there when they were getting, you know, when they couldn't get anybody in the DOD on the phone. And Mary Hoff sees, happens to see a news article in 1971 about, of all things, uh, China joining the United Nations. Right. Again, Nixon. High Nick, five to Nixon. Nixon and the Security Council had agreed to replace nationalist China or Taiwan on the Security Council with the PRC, controversially at the time. But it led to some logistical troubles for Utan's UN, which did not have a Chinese flag. So uh, an emergency call was made to this New Jersey flag maker, which had to produce flags to the specification of the People's Republic of China. And then Utan had to decide whether they wanted to be under C or P for People's Republic. And, you know, there were some interesting logistics to the switchover. And, you know, now you just get that Chinese flag from China, <laughs> uh, as well as your American flag. Amazon can get you a hundred cheap <laughs> Chinese knockoffs of the American flag. Hello, Tushy. Hello, Tushy. Tushy, Tushy, Tushy. Hello. Is that Partridge Family? <laughs> Hello, Tushy, my old friend. How about a sad version, like oh. a like a minor key acoustic guitar? Hello, Tushy. <laughs> Is it my Tushy you're looking for? Uh, hello, Tushy. Hello, Tushy. What's the? Is the bidet saying hello to your Tushy? Is that the? Is that what's going on here? Who is speaking in the sentence? Hello, Tushy. The void. The void. the void is speaking. Hello, Tushy. I. Hello, Tushy. I would like to recommend a better way to use the toilet. Tushy. It's, it's, tushy. It's the voice of God. Over here. Tushy. Hello. Uh, hello, Tushy provides a better and more hygienic way to use the toilet. Yes. Uh, a famously uh, uh, unhygienic place. I mean, we're still using a descendant of what our 
caveman ancestors would do with uh, leaves and a hole in the ground. Hmm. And we're living in the 21st century. Yeah, there should be a space age way to. We're living in an age of wonders. Space space age equivalent of leaves and a hole in the ground. And what is it, Ken? It's the Hello Tushy 3.0 modern bidet attachment. Okay. It cleanses. Sounds very space. It cleanses you with a precise stream of fresh water. Again, not something available to our hunter gatherer ancestors unless they sat on the geyser just right. Right. And it's not an imprecise uh, geyser. It's not like you're sitting. It's not like somebody with a fire hose. It's not like you're... It's you're, not a blunt instrument, as it yeah, were. Right. This is precision stuff. You're not You're not putting your tushy in a raging torrent. No, it's eco-friendly because you're going to use less toilet paper. It's easy to install um, because it doesn't require any electricity or additional plumbing. Uh, and it's affordable. Yeah, well, that levels the playing field. You don't want only some people to have... You don't want the billionaires the, to have clean butts and everybody else, you know, the 99.999% of humanity to have unclean butts. Yeah, we should start calling billionaires clean butts. Hey, what's up, clean butt? I bet your butt's really clean. Boy, that would really get them. No, but then it would be democratized by Hello Tushy 3.0, which well, is... You could stand up and say, I too am a clean butt. I too am a clean butt. Clean butts for the masses. We're all clean butts. Uh, it's sanitary. You... You spray, you dry, and you go. No, no, no poking around with little pieces of paper. Oh, dear. Go to hellotushy.com slash omnibus to get 10% off plus free shipping of this incredible modern apparatus. Potty apparatus. Yeah. Incredible modern uh, hygienic system. This is a special offer for our listeners. Go to hellotushy.com slash omnibus to get 10% off. Somehow seeing this article about, there's various retellings of this where Mary Hoff says that the article was about a heroic flag maker who would not make a Chinese flag. But in fact, all the coverage I could find at the time and in flag makers is like, sure, we'll make your flag. This wasn't a situation where some brave uh, mid mid nation red state conservative was like, I won't make your flag. Well, that's how Hoff tells the story now, you know, that she called up this brave flag maker that wouldn't genuflect right wouldn't, the, wouldn't make a birthday cake for for a gay teen wouldn't put uh, <laughs> chairman mao on a gay birthday cake she uh and but uh, i think what actually happened was she called to complain <laughs> oh okay and got some vice president who was very sympathetic of a flag vice president of a flag company yes of annan flag makers in new jersey mm-hmm. who was very sympathetic to 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 the her cause and why she was so interested in these um Vietnam issues. I can see why. And he, he's maybe just in the interest of public relations says, well, we have artists. We can make a, we should make a flag for your cause. Do you guys have a banner? And he finds an ad, an ad uh, a designer, a graphic designer named Newton Heisley, who served in World War II. He's a transport plane pilot in World War II and says, design a plane, design a flag or a banner that can be the symbol of the American POW movement. Now I should say that Annan Flag Makers currently has 25 employees. Now in 1972, it's possible that Annan Flag Makers a giant factory would have had 2,500 employees, <laughs> or maybe they've never been larger than 25 employees. I would not be surprised. You know, having been to the um, kind of the hollowed out corpse of what was Rand McNally in Skokie, Illinois. Oh, wow. A lot of these places did just have their own massive manufacturing firms and 
whole apartment, you know, whole office floors of of guys at desks in little visors, right, looking like Jack and- Lemon's desk in the apartment. But um, yeah, I would not be surprised if they were making thousands of Boy Scout troop flags a day at good old Annan Flag Makers in 1971. So, so the so the iconic black and white flag of the POW uh, MIA movement it's was a, it's a silhouetted soldier of kind of odd profile, looking down, looking down. There's behind him, you know, you can tell that Heisley was a World War II vet because the iconography is very much not the uh the you know the deer hunter bamboo cages that you're imagining and that we all imagine from 80s tv uh you know it's a it's a watchtower and a barbed wire and a snatch of a barbed wire fence it, it very it's very reminiscent of a nazi a world war ii aristologue yeah and the and the silhouette of the soldier he's got a high and tight crew cut and he yeah he looks downtrodden right he's not standing straight up uh, with good posture, he's been he's been uh, kept in a bamboo cage. The uh, and then it says, "You are not forgotten." The appearance of the profile has led to, and I believe the story to be true. Uh, the the story that it's it's actually Newton Heisley's own son Jeffrey was used as the model for the silhouette, much the same way that Jerry West is the NBA silhouette. Uh, Heisley had actually been called up to Vietnam. But while he was in Marine boot camp, got sent home with a case of hepatitis. Oh, I thought you were going to say flat feet. <laughs> no, no, worse. So he's legitimately 4F. sick and gaunt and struggling. And I don't know if he was ever sent over. I don't know if he ever did a tour, but he uh, he was the, you know, his hepatitis stricken quasi Vietnam drafty son was the model for the the kind of odd looking silhouette on the you are not forgotten flag. If you, uh, if you Google, if you image search, uh, the POW MIA flag, uh, about halfway down that first page, there's a royalty free version of it where it's, where somebody it, still owns the POW MIA. Flag. Yeah. In case, in case you want to fly that flag and not pay, uh, not pay your royalties. What does it say? Does it say you are not forgetting in comic songs or does it say we still remember you? Or? No, there's no, there's no, uh, you are not forgotten under it, but the but the silhouette of the guy is slightly more downtrodden. And the, is he supposed the, to be wearing a military cap? Why does his head look like he's wearing a Russian fur hat? No, he's got a. That's his hair. His head's too big. I guess head this too is his, big without you. <laughs> head too. Big. I guess this is his kind of hepatitis shrunken features, or or what we're, I'm seeing there. The watchtower is uh, is simplified. I should say there's a. There's a guard in the watchtower in both of these flags. Yes. And he's got a gun. His have you, have you never noticed the gun? No, I never saw the gun. I mean, it's a gun or a sword. It's a stick. Or a oh, maybe it's a wizard's staff. <laughs> yeah, Gandalf's in a watchtower. The um I know, I know. So it's, it's serious. <laughs> <laughs> Is that Gandalf in a tower? Watchtower. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know what's going on with me. I'm I, I'm uh, in one headphone I'm channeling 80s it's radio. not even the right number of syllables. Uh, the you know we think of this as a, a potent symbol of the veterans movement, um, but when I say we, I kind of mean Gen X children of the 80s, which is when it became a potent symbol of the of the veterans. Movement. This was very much a fringe group of military wives, POW wives largely, who could not get anybody on the Pentagon at the phone on the phone for years. 
because it did not serve the nation's propaganda purposes. Right. Um, at the time of the Paris Accords in 1973, um, you know, this, the status of the POWs started to become a bigger cause. And in particular, the lobbying groups like the National League of POWMA Families were, uh, uh, you know, advising the White House on, you know, making sure this was a bargaining chip in the Paris negotiations. Um, but this is a White House, this is a, a Gerald Ford White House or a Jimmy Carter White House? Nixon era. Oh, still in the still Nixon 1973. Era. Okay. Um, and Nixon has made, you know, I think Nixon wisely sees the propaganda win in Operation Homecoming. You know, let's let's forget how the war ended. It was a tie pretty much. But look, look what's on the news. We're bringing our boys home. So he made sure there was lots of footage of what eventually ended up happening. 591 uh service members released from prisons in Southeast Asia. Unfortunately, even at the time, that number surprised some of the Pentagon. Many were expecting about 100 more. And then when the remains started to be turned over, you know, it turned out that the, the Vietnam had already had remains of 700 U.S. soldiers in its custody and could immediately turn those over for identification. The Pentagon was expecting a hundred more live bodies. We're expecting a hundred more live bodies and more remains. And at the time there were 2,600, more than 2,600 soldiers unaccounted for. And the kind of vagueness in that bit of military speak led to a lot of discrepancy and confusion because people imagined 2,600 uh, uh, missing in action when in fact all that meant was we're missing 2,600 bodies. Yeah. We at the, even at the time we were, the American government was well aware that most of those people were dead. Like they had, they had accounts of, of what had likely happened and they just did not have the bodies back in their possession. And I think one of the reasons why the blurriness was kept is because those families could keep receiving military benefits Oh, as long as the soldier was uh, as long as unaccounted the soldier, for. soldier was unaccounted for. It's um, it's very much complicated by the fact that that we were fighting in a country where there we, we didn't have control of the ground. Never. And so there was not a you know when we when we ended World War II we had we controlled Germany and were able to find everybody that we could right that hadn't been. In this case, it was literally Literated. decades before we had a fully cooperative, before we even had diplomatic relations. And this was during the Clinton era, right? Before we had diplomatic relations with yeah. Vietnam? We'll jump ahead. That was a okay. Bush that was a Bush administration uh, initiative that became so tricky, largely due to the political hand grenade of the POW MIA issue that it got punted to the next administration, where Clinton, who had famously not served in Vietnam, <laughs> Flat feet. could could say well, uh, you know, yeah, you know. He, hey, that's a great Clinton impression. <laughs> you don't you do Clinton? Uh, not not after that. Not you, after you own the space. You've done it on this show. <laughs> I didn't fight in Vietnam. See, look I, at you. I, I'm the perfect face for this issue. You're incredible. Uh, well, how are you not making a side <laughs> living doing Clinton on radio? I did my bad Kennedy on Jeopardy the other day and got kind of roasted for for doing a half-hearted Mayor Quimby on Jeopardy. Yeah, right. Rightfully so. Correctly so. Yeah. And, you know, this was immediately – so, but in all the, the fog of unwar here, you know, the, the fog of ending the war and bringing people home, there were a lot of lingering – well, shouldn't they have turned over? We, weren't we expecting more – particularly from Laos, I think. Like, weren't we expecting 100 more bodies and, like, like live – not bodies, live 
prisoners coming back from Laos? We weren't even supposed to be in Laos. <laughs> or Cambodia. I think we can say it now. <laughs> we were in Laos and Cambodia. Uh, and a, but a, this was all, this kind of, this moment was also met widely in the American public and the press by a lot of Vietnam fatigue. Right. Nobody, Nobody wants to talk about this. And immediately Vietnam takes over. The, as we've seen in recent weeks, as we record with COVID immediately leaving the headlines as soon as there's a big land war in Europe. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, Watergate takes over the headlines and nobody wants to think about the loose threads of Vietnam, which, again, is kind of a scar in the American unconscious. It's a very raw wound at this point. It's a it's a less great propaganda image to see uh, C-141s full of flag-draped coffins coming back exactly. than it is to see Admiral Stockdale and John McCain. Or... Um, Despite the Nixon assurance that the Paris Accords are okay because they're going to bring all our boys home, uh, in fact, um, soldiers have been held back possibly as a future bargaining chip, you know, maybe to extort more money out of the Nixon administration. Now, is there evidence for that at the time? Within the Pentagon, there are, there is numbers, there are numbers that don't add up. Um, There does not appear to be any direct evidence for... Uh, any kind of Vietnamese conspiracy to hold back soldiers, uh, as we'll see. The uh, the National League of, of POW MIA families continues to have, you know, the release of all prisoners in their mission statement, which implies that it's not just remains that they're after. Right. Um, but there are splinter groups that form around the organization complaining that, you know, they're not militant enough, that there are still hundreds of of our boys you know somewhere in the jungle and we have abandoned them and why are we not doing more um you're asking about evidence over the year over the following decade there were 1638 reports of live sightings of american pow's in southeast asia the pentagon again with this what what is grew to be a 100 million dollar yearly budget checked out all of these and found they could explain they could literally track down the explanation for 1,553 of them. This is kind of like UFO. Were they weather balloons? UFOlogy. <laughs> Some of them, most of them were Venus or weather balloons. 68% just turned out to be other jailed white people. <laughs> like, oh, for other reasons. Yeah. They yeah. Were, they're smuggling pot. Not every jailed white person <laughs> in Southeast Asia. Uh, uh, 2% of them were, um, turned out to be misdated. They were accounts that actually predated Operation Homecoming. How many were ghosts? <laughs> hard to say how many were ghosts hard to say how many were those inflatable guys at at, at car lots right who wave their arms you wouldn't necessarily look at those guys and think that they were caucasian well, if you were at a distance they're like, often green imagine a blur- blue i see yeah i don't want to i don't want to say that white is the default race of, of those car wash guys <laughs> right they you could re- they could represent any race they do appear to have dreadlocks in some cases <laughs> that's true they all, well i don't know those, like, they're, they're kind of white dreads well, that's the problem, those, right? They're very problematic, yeah. those car wash guys. They look like members of a Pearl Jam fan club. <laughs> those car wash guys love fish, don't they? But Primus. 28% Primus, right. But 28%, fully 28% of the cases um, can just turn out to be fabrications. You know, there's a lot of money in right. telling the United States, hey, I know where, you know, some of these, I know who's working this field over here, and it's actually a, you know, it's got it's a corporate. Air Force pilot. Right. Uh, so, uh, but, uh, you know, if you're doing the math, that does leave 
a tiny percentage. Do the math. How many? One, let's see, 85 of these 1,638 cases could not be accounted for. And that's enough to leave, especially, you know, we're dealing with the psychology of mourning family, not just a mourning nation, but specifically mourning families, right? wives and kids and parents who uh, don't have closure because 2,600 people just hopped on a transport plane to Asia and never came back. What percentage of the families that didn't have closure were not accepting the fact that their their lost service person was pretty well documented as having died? I mean, this is the question, right? Because because you've only got eighty five people that they can't account for, but there are but there are all those families who where well, their be, son never came home. These aren't eighty five of the missing. These are eighty five of the live sighting oh, oh, reports. Of the accounts, yeah. right? I see. Uh, I don't know what the, it's. The vast majority of the unaccounted fors are, you know, we actually know that he didn't survive that crash or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I assume it would not be uncommon for a family to hold out hope. Like, why wouldn't you? Right. I mean, why wouldn't you? Because you have to find closure at some point. And gradually this starts to claw itself up from this kind of uh, quasi-military subculture of people flying the POW MIA banner into the public eye. Uh, Love it when this happens. In the early 80s, uh, ex-Special Forces guy named Bo Greitz. Oh, he's one of the heroes of America. He should probably get his own omnibus at some Bo point. Bo Greitz. I, I, I can do it from memory. He leads a couple missions into the jungles of Southeast Asia, um, saying he's got a lead on where these guys are. Because we've got Ronald Reagan in office now, and we're and the pride is back. This is what happens. Reagan's in the White House. and I know, I know. <laughs> it's serious. <laughs> And his white his administration routinely starts flying just hundreds and hundreds of these National League of POW MIA family um, wives and kids out to the White House for events and conventions and breakfasts and luncheons. Not at all exploiting them. No, and not at all, you know, uh, uh, emphasizing, you know, he's a cold warrior. Yes. And he does not want to America to forget the the bruises of the communism, global communism has, has and is inflicting on the world. Andre Gromyko still foreign, foreign <laughs> heading up the foreign policy. Big Brezhnev eyebrows still <laughs> yeah. looming over America. Although Brezhnev had had a stroke by this point, so he was just the, a puppet dictator. But, but the eyebrows were as thick as ever. They were. They got untouched, thicker. untouched by the by the embolism. Uh, his White House announces that this is a matter of a highest national priority. Right, and everybody can be kind of. Um, vague on the language here i remember this everybody can say hey just you know look we're there are remains in in some of the most acidic soil in the world we've got to work with the governments of vietnam Laos, cambodia to get these remains home they deserve a military burial but at the same time you're kind of winking to the bogreitz um wackadoodle idea that um well actually there's vietnam's keeping hundreds of guys somewhere in secret camps under you know and we got to find those bamboo cages right um, and this is a, this is one of the many, many situations where you wink at the QAnon until the QAnon winks true. at you. Yeah. Uh, and privately Reagan and Bush are, you know, there are senators and congressmen who are loud voices for, there are soldiers still alive in Vietnam and Reagan and Bush are both told and believe that these guys are nutballs. Um, but by kind of embracing this idea of we need to support these POW families and you know putting them on the news and having them stand up at States of the Union and the whole ball of wax, 
Um, this kind of becomes uh, one of the biggest political issues in 1980s America, and a feedback loop goes on with pop culture. Uh, Chuck Norris makes a whole career out of movies in which he um, Bogart-style infiltrates the jungles of Indochina. We're going back in to get our boys. And it's, it's just taken for granted in this movie that there are boys. Mm-hmm. It's never a question of, really? It's been a decade. What, what are the odds? It, it becomes, it's been a decade. This is an even bigger tragedy now. Like, what an atrocity this is that we left them there for a decade. Well, what's, what was so interesting about it was that the premise was always that they were still being held in remote jungle camps. In bamboo cages. In bamboo cages. As if, the, as if the war had never ended. Yeah, and, and not being exploited for, for political purposes, not being ransomed. Not, I mean, if you had American soldiers, prisoner. Mm-hmm. I would not just be using them to harvest my rice. No, as they, you know, because a lot of, you know, if you watch TV in the 80s, this percolated up to Magnum P.I. and MacGyver, and they would all have a got to bring home missing, missing, uh, 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 lieutenant, whoever. Right. And the show would often end with a, a conical Vietnamese hat working a rice field. And the, you know, the chopper of our guy would head home across the jungle on the unsuccessful and the hat would tip up, and lo and behold, yeah. it would be the guy, the white actor we saw the photo of earlier. Sure, blonde, blue-eyed, gaunt, some and wearing Mar- black pajamas. Some Mark Singer-looking 80s soap actor in black pajamas. But this was an era when the bad guys uh, in movies like this could still be bad by virtue of their race. That's <laughs> also and, and It, the, it was a shock to see a white face. Yeah. Right, and the, but the premise was that the Vietnamese army or government or the remnants of the Viet Cong had zero compassion and were doing this. The only logic would be that they were doing it vindictively. Like they're still pissed. Yeah. We're going to punish you as proxies for, for all of, uh, for all of America. Right. Why else? What? I mean, I always watch those movies and I was like the, the Vietnamese guards, like this is their job, right? Like they're, they go home at night, right? What, what, this is a terrible job. They just want to go home and have a bowl of pho yeah. and hit the sack. They're like, get me out of here. Like, I have to stay in this crappy camp too and like whack these guys every day. I mean, it's an impl- it's just an implication of the kind of the media portrayals of Vietnam that hit the West in the 60s. Nobody talked about why you would, you know, the origins of the Viet Cong as, as Viet Minh freedom fighters against the French. They were just the they were just a faceless evil yellow peril, and it was enough to say, "Look at these conniving foreigners." Right. Um, it's funny to think that communism as a boogeyman. Are, can we still say boogeyman? I think so. Okay, boogie person. Good. Boogie person. What's I don't know. Is there an issue with boogeyman? I don't know. I didn't know there was one with Kowtow. Say Baba Duke. Baba Baduke. No, don't just say the word Baba Duke. Just say communism as an international Baba Duke. Oh, it's a Baba Duke. Yeah. But that seems like a weird word. <laughs> Babadook. Uh, so communism, you know, communism in Cuba, communism in Vietnam, they weren't, these weren't initially communist revolutions. They were class revolutions. and Anti-imperialist colonialist revolutions. Right. And the communism was a, was a later overlay because they, you know, I think Castro would have loved to have been an American friend. But he couldn't get a tryout with, a, with the Dodgers or, no, or the Yankees. Exactly. And, and so it was, you know, America had this vested interest in siding with the French, in siding with Batista. And, and so the, you know, the, the greater communist movement swept into the void 
but we always associate it as, you know, as something that was intrinsic to Southeast Asian thinking, right? That the Vietnamese and their communism were inextricable from one another. They're out to get us like, like Bond villains. Yeah, exactly. Like they, like there's something in they, their they, mind. They've got a worldwide plot. Yeah, it's a plot that they yeah. had concocted out of the out of a admixture of their of their history and their religion or lack thereof. And if true, if it's ideological, of course they would be maintaining these awful torture camps right. in, in remote areas because there because there there was something ideological about their nature, yeah. which was always which is so weird to think about now that yeah we. In review, we go, oh, they were really poor and being exploited, and so naturally fought, as you would, as we would. Yeah. I mean, I can picture you with an AK-47. I'd be the, I'd be the first guy. Pointing it the wrong direction. Once, <laughs> once, once Putin pours into to King and Snohomish counties, yeah. Washington State. Yeah, when the Russians are, are marching up Greenwood Avenue. <laughs> I'd be putting the barricades on, I'd be putting the barricades on Boren and... Uh, Fremont Avenue, so yeah. they so they can't get up from the ship canal. Uh, the, Would you? Oh, absolutely. I'd be I'd be waving the flag like the Lemez guys. No, you don't want to see tanks going up those streets. That's my I, coffee place. I'd like to see them try. Right? I can barely get a <laughs> yeah. car up those streets. In those streets, if a car is coming the other way, that's what you would do. You would just send a Tesla up the other way, right? And they'd kind of do the I don't know, try and pull over. just shrugging at the car. I can't I really. That's the you tank. Have to back up. You're going to have to back up, Vladimir. The uh, the funny thing is that while this is bubbling up in the pop culture, which eventually leads to you know, it starts out with these kind of schlocky, low budget. Chuck Norris things. There you go. But eventually you get to Gene Hackman and Uncommon Valor. And finally oh you get God, to... that was such a terrible movie. Finally you get to Stallone in, in Rambo and it becomes, you know, the big summer movie is this blockbuster escapist fair about how this time we're, we're going back and this time we're going to win. And a bunch, of, a bunch of soldiers are still alive in the jungle. Right. So it becomes received wisdom that this is all true, even though on the official level... Like the governments of Laos and Cambodia are now like now working with us to uh, to open up access to sites where they believe that planes crashed or prisoners were buried. Um, even the Vietnam government, even though we don't have normalized diplomatic relations, you know, overtures are starting to happen in the same direction. So bodies are coming, remains are coming home, right, from Southeast Asia. Uh, the, now here's a Generation X litmus test. Do you remember a time when? It was inconceivable anyone would say that we had lost the Vietnam War. <laughs> Do you remember a time? Because my entire childhood up through about halfway through high school, no one, I, I never heard anyone suggest. I mean, it was shameful that it was a tie. That was as far as anybody in the, in the popular press would go, that we had tied. Yeah, I had never heard the formulation until probably the late 80s. That we'd lost. Yeah. That anyone would dare, and it was always some radical that was like, we actually, you know what? We actually lost the Vietnam War. How do you like that, Ken? I feel like when I first heard it, it was in connection with, we lost because of the hippies. Yeah, for you sure. Know, like for sure. If, we lost the war at home, and then... If well, you could say that we lost, it was because of the hippies. Yes. We'll allow that maybe it wasn't as fully throwed it a win as it could have been. We wouldn't have lost if not for the hippies. But it was because of people putting flowers in rifle barrels right. back home. The, Spitting on people in airports. Right. 
you were to open a store, John, what would you sell? Oh, I've thought about this a lot. You know, vintage sweaters, um, cheap guitars, was- like old guitars, but cheap ones. Start making soap. No, I'm not like a, I'm not some artisanal shop guy. I think it would all be found. Just stuff you're trying to empty out of your house. Yeah, recycled garbage. There's that store in, you know, the 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 little seafaring store in Paul's Bow yeah. that sells like old stuff from. Old fishing uh, bobs and yeah, stuff. Yeah, just wrecked sh- ship stuff. I love that store. You just want to sell old diving helmets. I do. I want to find stuff and resell it. When you begin your old diving helmet store, let me recommend to you Shopify. Well, now, how is Shopify going to help me? It's, uh, it gives entrepreneurs the resources that like a big store would have so you could compete with them as a little entrepreneur. Oh, this is helpful because I worry about this. You worry like, about big diving helmet choking well, out your business. It's just like there are so many things that you need to have a cool online business, and I wouldn't know where to start. Shopify does it all. It helps you reach customers online using social media, helps synchronize sales you've done on different venues and platforms. Exactly. It gives you reporting of your profit margins and your conversion rates, and it helps you accept all major payment methods. It integrates all the behind-the-scenes stuff that has to happen for you to start selling diving helmets. See, this would be the stuff that was challenging for me, right? All the, like, I would get overwhelmed by trying to do all this myself. Let Shopify do it for you. It's hmm. more than a store. It grows with you. And I've got an exciting deal that I want to offer you right now, John. Well, well, what is it, Ken? If you go to shopify.com slash omnibus. Now that's easy to do. Slash omnibus, all lowercase. You're saying shopify.com slash omnibus and omnibus is all lowercase. The letter O, it's lowercase. Oh, I see. So don't capitalize O, even though we normally would. The letter M, equally lowercase. So don't do lowercase O and then capital M, which would be weird. Neither shalt thou capitalize the N, (laughs) the I, or the bus. Uh If you do that, you will get a free 14-day trial, and that'll have full access to the entire suite of features Shopify offers. Two weeks. Two weeks. So you're saying I could grow my business with Shopify today by going to shopify.com slash all lowercase omnibus, but don't Type in all lowercase. Just type in the word omnibus, but do not hit the caps lock or shift key Right. while you do so. Shopify powers over 2 million businesses from first sale to full scale. First sale to full scale. That's Shopify. All the way from first sale to full scale. The full spectrum of things that rhyme with whale. Shopify.com slash omnibus right now. Shopify.com slash omnibus. The success of Rambo led to a massive rebirth of Vietnam, the Vietnam War era in popular culture at a time when, as you say, we were finally ready to reassess it. Like the generation who was there and felt like it had all been just a weird fever dream that everybody had ignored or, you know, actively denigrated them for when they got home, uh, was ready to feel like they had a voice and their stories could be told. Um, it, it is kind of funny that you know, there's nothing after the Green Berets, the gung-ho John Wayne pro-Viet- pro-Vietnam War movie, until that late 70s trifecta of Deer Hunter and Apocalypse Now and Coming Home that all came out mm-hmm. like within 18 months of each other. Mm-hmm. And then it's really radio silence until this bubbling up of Chuck, Norris- Chuck Norrisism into the culture creates the space for Full Metal Jacket and Platoon and... On TV, you could watch China Beach and Tour of Duty. Like, there were successful 
primetime dramas set in Vietnam. Yeah. Whereas before, you know, the, the most successful Vietnam pop culture had been MASH set in the crypto Vietnam of Korea. Right. Where it was kind of sad, but funny. And I remember, yeah, you know, and, and it really is just more about kind of a catch 22. This is the absurdity of any war. But of course, if you, if you'd served in Asia, you understood what was going on. I want to just say that the, that the, um, soldiers getting spit on in airports, um, there was a book that came out in the late nineties called the spitting image that could not, that was written by a Vietnam vet that could not find a single documented instance of it. And the book goes on to say that this kind of stab in the back myth is one that's, that's was very common in post-World War One Germany, very common, you know, it's a, it's a trope of every war. A trope of every war. And in European wars, it always ends up being anti-Semitic. Yeah. But the, the, the idea that we, we couldn't have lost if not for having been stabbed in the back. And I mean, in the 1980s, the idea of a veteran being spit on in an airport became, it was also a TV movie trope. You saw it over and over. And it's actually, there never was a, a documentary. And it example. actually, and it led to the, um, it, it di- led directly to the opposite backlash phenom- of support the troops phenomenon we see today, where, you know, your most leftish Hollywood figures will still have to genuflect, will, still to, have to do little We Are the Worlds for, um, for our brave veterans. Yeah. The distinction between being opposed to mili- the, 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 um, strat- or, you know, you, you're opposed to the war, but not the troops. That distinction that didn't that didn't used to exist. Hate the sin or not the sin, right? The uh, by the way, I mean, you hate this, the State Department, basically. This, yeah, <laughs> not the not our not the Pentagon, and they're all Jews. <laughs> wow. The uh, I mean, the the findings of the spitting image are contested by actual plenty of actual military observers. So there are. You will find accounts of people being like, "Look, just because this researcher couldn't find one doesn't mean I don't know what I felt." And here, I know what I felt and saw when I came home. So the Hawks will still say, "You know, I was spit on. It was just privately. That was a real thing. <laughs> you had to pay extra for it. <laughs> there was a back room for it." Mistress Matisse. Uh, <laughs> so, but yeah, but yeah, you're exactly right that that kind of that image of we didn't do enough to support, and a lot of that we didn't do enough to support the veterans is coming out of this. POW MIA families lobbying movement, which again is, you know, a, a reaction, a lobbying reaction to the cover-ups of the Johnson administration. Right. La- so there, later there, being leveraged by Reagan and Bush. There was there 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 was a germ that justified the suspicion, which yeah. was which was a, a cover-up at the source. Yeah. Really, the yeah. the. The, insti- the military and government institutions were not sticking up for military families. Um, and this becomes enough of a, you know, through Rambo and then this, this whole Vietnam pop culture explosion that comes out of it. I remember in 1986, I remember reading Marvel comics had a comic called the Nam, which came out monthly and told Vietnam stories in real time. Like it started in whatever, you know, it started in 65. Yeah. It starts in somebody getting off a plane in May, 1965. And then every month you get a different, Quezon. Exactly. You know, building up to the Tet Offensive in 1989, I guess it would be. Is it like a Flashman series where one soldier somehow manages to be at every battle in Vietnam? No, characters come and go, um, you know, as they come in and then either 
TDY or evac out or whatever it is. And, you know, it always had a little uh, thing in the back of glossary. So you could say, here's what Charlie means. Here's what uh-huh. the boonies or the world means, you know? Yeah. Uh, oh, he's saying he's short. That he's going means, back to the world. He, that means he's going back to the world, which means he's going back to America. He's catching that big bird home. Yeah, or and between that and, you know, watching Platoon and Full Metal Jacket and well, there were more, right? Casualties oh, of War, so Hamburger many. Hill. Some of these are Korea, but I can't remember which are which. Well, uh, so some of them were are just Vietnam movies. And some of the, like movies about like the, Hamburger Hill or, or, or. That's what I'm saying. This is oh. not limited to POWs are still alive movies. Right. But I think that movement is essential to giving us this mid 80s burst of finally the stories can be told. And the, the memorial opened in 82. So right. I think finally there, that was kind of a permission to, you know, let's grapple with this. And like the wall is an admission that these are, it was not just a win or a loss. It was also tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of individual stories, right. lives changed, lives ruined, lives lost. Um, the profundity of those early images of Vietnam vets standing with their hand against the Vietnam Memorial right. that then became another sort of icon all those posters of uh where that image then there's some soldier reflected in the in the black granite and then decades of going to the wall and being able to buy that poster or a pow mia t-shirt from one of the many you know veterans hawkers tables in the area it was when that memorial opened it was incredible i remember it just being a profound reckoning there was a tv movie about it i remember watching a tv movie about the fight to open the vietnam veterans memorial uh, and the fact that it was designed by an Asian American oh, was such a controversy a at woman? the time. And a woman. There was a, I, for some reason, the only thing I remember in the TV movie is how people keep complaining that the wall is going to be black. Like it's a symbol of shame and blah, blah, blah. And finally, after this, this is, this goes on for, for several minutes, finally some, um, you know, I'm picturing John Amos or Paul Winfield, you know, some amazing dignified African-American actor stands up with all his, brass and scrambled eggs on his shoulder and everything and says, if I have to hear the color black be referred to as the color of shame one more time in this meeting, you know, this guy pulls the race car and everyone's like, yeah, got him, got him. Um, so this, this was the, the Reagan eighties, uh, was a time of, uh, great sexual frustration for me, but also for others, super good music. And a time of coming to terms with the implications of Vietnam and the this kind of parallel conspiracy theory that tons of soldiers are still alive ceases to become a fringy QAnon thing like QAnon did and actually becomes uh, mainstream received wisdom in America. A, a Newsweek cover shows some of these contested photos of live sightings as, it, as if it were real news. A Wall Street Journal poll in 1991 finds that fully 69% of Americans believe that there are live soldiers still missing in action, still in Vietnam. The same today. exact number of uh, the 69 number of uh, of American conservatives that believe the election is fraud- fraudulent, the election of 2020. So, yeah, I was about to say this is unprecedented in American history, but it would not remain for long. That uh, Well, it's not 69%. 69% of Republicans might believe I think that. it might be 85% now. <laughs> but, yeah, but it, it's as if these ideas about the moon landing suddenly became just majority opinions. And you had the White House being like, yes, we've got the astronauts' families here, and we need to 
reveal the truth about the moon landing. Like Throughout this whole period, there were editorials that were saying none of this is, there are no, uh, none of these. I mean, I remember reading yes. the counter opinion. It's just, it can't counter. That was still Sylvester the majority Stallone. opinion, but it doesn't, it can't beat Rambo and it can't beat the outliers, you know, and there were outliers. Um, Ross Perot essentially ran the most successful third party candidacy in recent history, basically based on the idea, you know, his, his national prominence had come as a booster for, we got to get into the jungles and get our, guys home plus flat tax or <laughs> <the> whatever <laughs> whatever no i guess that was steve Forbes. uh the reagan the reagan white house and congress you know with broad bipartisan appeal began to fly the pow mia flag over the white house once a year on a certain day of remembrance in the capital to this day this still happens once a year and it's still the only flag other than the stars and stripes that ever flies over the capitol and white house this is the prominence that this kind of oddly designed flag of this movement gets even during the even during like i guess i mean there's no distinction on this topic between republicans and democrats because no no uh liberal administration would risk not flying the flag exactly on pow day right exactly and that's what is in 1993 when the bush administration has been working to normalize diplomatic relations with vietnam this uh, the idea of returned remains and particularly this idea in the in the ram the rambo idea in the public image of of, uh, of live POWs is still such a huge sticking point in the negotiations that there have to be Senate hearings. Oh, a a select do. Senate committee is formed to study the issue of are there, you know, are these live sighting things for real? We're finally going to get to the bottom of this. Did they also investigate the mafia at this time? <laughs> <laughs> this is 20 years later or 30 years later. Um, but it's still a huge, It's as you point out, it's an issue that nobody can get on the wrong side of, but there is no right side of. Senator Bob Carey, a Vietnam vet who serves on the committee, said, later remembered, nobody wanted to be on that damn committee because <laughs> it was such a loser. Like, everybody knew that there was no win here because everybody knew that the live sightings were bogus, but nobody wanted to tell that to the POW community. Right. Uh, it's funny because... it. it it harkens back to a time when even the even conservative members of Congress still like understood statistics and science. It's, it's weird to read about it now because this is happening in a fairly functional Senate where even though it's a huge loser of a issue, John Kerry agrees to in Democrats control the Senate. John Kerry agrees to chair the committee. Uh, I think because he was a Vietnam vet. Vietnam vet. Every Vietnam vet except Al Gore uh, serves on the committee. So there's six or seven vets on the committee giving it credibility. Can you imagine? Al. Can you, can you imagine them hanging out in the co the cloakroom before? Like, <laughs> you know what, guys? Sorry about this. Uh, McCain refuses to serve as vice chair. Uh, I think I think probably just worried that the issue is not going to do any good. Egg on his face. But even by, and even by serving on the committee, it's true that it, he gets raked over the coals by the right wing as a tool of the KGB yeah, and a saboteur. This and, is back when he was a rogue, when, when McCain was really exciting. Yeah, maybe he had less cover from the from the Republican establishment at that point. But you know, even the people for whom he was a symbol of... of uh, valor. Valor, and, and particularly veterans' issues and, and courage, even they turned on him for daring to serve on Kerry's yeah. committee. Because the committee, spoilers, releases a report saying there's no compelling evidence... That the moon landing was fake. <laughs> the equivalent, basically. There's no compelling evidence 
that um, there are any, there's anybody left alive. They do kind of hedge on the issue of could there have been anybody still alive in 1973? Because they're, you know, they do get, you know, two Nixon era secretaries of defense testify before the committee that they were surprised by the discrepancies in who was repatriated and they didn't trust the Vietnamese accounting. There have been some weird things in the papers like Yeltsin comes out and just tells ABC news. Oh yeah. Yeah. Some of those guys later showed up in labor camps in Russia, which immediately set off alarms at the state department. And there were a few defectors, right? And that's what the, that's what people said. Oh, he must be thinking of some deserters or defectors. Um, it was allowed that that's where some of the discrepancies could be. Um, but the waters were muddied by things like that happening. And so when the committee later said, hey, there could have been somebody earlier, but the math just doesn't check out. It's been, it's been 20 years now. Nobody's, nobody's still there. And that was just not what this community wanted to hear. Yeah, the youngest uh, POWs would be in their 30s by 1989. Yes. Right? If, if they, not older. Well, I mean, the... Yeah, the the youngest, right? If you had, if you yeah. if you were shot down in 1974, and you were 19, and the whole thing just hinges on the equivalent of a bunch of blurry Bigfoot photos, like this is straight up conspiracy theory stuff. Well, how do you explain this guy here? He looks like he's not Vietnamese. Uh, blow this part of the picture up, uh, and that that's that. So, but ni- the the Senate report in. 93, 94, kind of led to a real diminishing of this issue in the public eye. You know, no longer would this inspire multi-episode Magnum PI arcs and Time Magazine cover stories. Um, the normal is, is particularly because, I mean, it's very similar to the UFO issue. You know, if now that we have access to all this imagery, where's the evidence at? And well, let's not get into that, Ken. And it's well, it's the same in Southeast Asia. You know, now that we have access, to, now that we have diplomatic relations with all these places, well, where, where are the camps? Now, right there, there are all kinds of hippie millennial backpackers in every corner of Vietnam. Where is the equivalent of the? Uh, and you know, when the Soviet Union fell, and there were dumps of of KGB information. That is when we found out that you know. McCarthy was a crank, but Julius Rosenberg was a spy, you know, right. and Alger Hiss did, you know, was getting paid. You know, you, you could start to find out what, which of the fog of Cold War stories actually were right-wing conspiracies and which were not. Right. And it's been now, what, 30 years since we've had diplomatic relations with Vietnam almost. And, you know, the silence has just been deafening and it really took the air out of this movement. But they, I mean, not if you go to certain rallies, right? They're still flying that flag like, like you wouldn't believe. I mean, the flag can be ambiguous. The flag can still mean, you know, there's still thousands of remains out there. And that's true. There's a $100 million a year, a year Pentagon budget to try to excavate these sites and do the DNA testing. And it's tricky work, but it's, it's happening. Um but there is still a you know the fringe belief, even though even though the the pop culture wash has died down, that you know there's still somebody looking up at a departing chopper from under their conical hat. And that concludes missing in action. Entry seven nine five dot two ch two eight one one certificate number four nine three eight two in the omnibus. Futurelings, our 
irreverent tone throughout this episode should not be taken to communicate that we do not support our troops. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, John, how much do you support the troops? 100. Oh, I was going to say 102. Now you look kind of dumb. Oh, ouch on me. Um, also, our constant sort of belittlement of the conservative side of the American political spectrum does not reflect the fact that we don't teach the controversy here or respect both sides. Isn't that right, Ken? Uh, depends on what you mean by that. Yeah, see? (laughs) (laughs) Are we talking about QAnon? Listen, we welcome our conservative listeners and our uh, ivory tower liberal bias here on the show, I think, is well established. But also... But you know what comes with that ivory tower liberal bias? What? A tolerance. We do have tolerance. For for even opinions such as theirs. That's right. Although we will... We're such a big tent. We will mock you... Only but their, that's part of a uh, of a general liberal tolerance. Only their bad opinions. <laughs> We're not going to mock all of their opinions. The thing about liberalism is it's the default position of the bookish. And sadly, Ken and I both did not play a lot of team sports. Indoor kids. Instead, we read a lot of comic books. And that just naturally produces, a, I think, a liberal bias. Unless you're reading the wrong comic books. If we'd been out... Um, Climbing ropes. Right. If either of us had ever been able to climb a rope. This would be a very different podcast. I mean, I read Sergeant Rock comics. You apparently read The Nom. I I read several years of The Nom. I watched watched every China Beach, but that's kind of a flimsy anti-war take. I had the the, uh, Anarchist Cookbook memorized, and there were a lot of uh, Vietnam sabotage techniques in that book, but still... Bo Greitz was briefly a Mormon in the 80s. A lot of people don't remember this. So it didn't go great. I don't know what happened that we have this this uh, tangible liberal bias. I'm sure that there were some futurelings that had to punch out of this episode like a pilot punching out of an F4 that had been hit by a Soviet surface-to-air missile because they said, I can't stand to hear Ken and John's liberal bias one more second. And boy, there was a lot of it here. Well, I hope they came back in time to hear us talk about how much we support the troops. If you if you are a futureling listening to this and you know a conservative futureling that punched out of this episode, go pet their hair and tell them it's going to be okay. Cross the aisle. We'll, Just get out of your get out of your liberal bubble. That's that, that, that's the kind of siloing that's ruining America. That's exactly right. Go listen to them talk about how the spike proteins on the vaccine gave them COVID and not actually not getting the vaccine. We're going to come back on on uh, Thursday with a new episode, and it's going to be about guitar pedals or some kind of Soviet space program or something else that's politically neutral. You can go back to enjoying the show. I, I have to. I've already decided what I'm doing next week, and it's Cold War again. So oh wow! I've got some bad news. Hot tamales. What am I doing? Oh yeah, it's my, my whole thing is just more liberal anti-Christian bias, and again, yeah. It's terrible. I'm going to change mine. I'm going to do mine about those Christian Archie comics. Oh, yeah. No, didn't we do that already? (laughs) Oh, no. no. I think we just talk about them every show anyway. We do. Did I tell you I'm Generation X? Uh, You can go find more liberal crapola on our social media accounts. Ken's constantly just, just, you know, hammering that nail. If every problem looks like a, a conservative bias, Ken... Then every to me, every problem looks, like, looks like government funding. A hammer and sickle. <laughs> <laughs> Do 
If I had a hammer and a sickle, I'd hammer and uh, reap things in the morning all over this land. Uh, so at Ken Jennings, at John Roderick, at Omnibus Project, you can email us at the Omnibus Project at Gmail. We chose Gmail because it's part of an overall liberal conspiracy to control the media. Really? Yeah, Gmail. I thought Google was bad now. Uh, but aren't weren't they were always bad to one side. Now they're bad to the other side. Yes. Everything's bad. Okay. Let's be honest. Uh, you can hang out with other futurelings on Facebook and other places. Speaking of bad multinational mm, corporations. By saying futurelings, futurelings, futurelings three times. They will appear. They will appear in a, in a little uh, train set in your attic. You can mail us things, but please do not mail us anthrax in a bag or a bomb or, I don't know, recovered remains. Just send us Chuck Norris movies on, v- on VHS. Mm. That's all we want. Yeah, right. Put them in a shadow box frame and send them so we can put them on the wall. Uh, you can send that stuff to P.O. Box 55744 Shoreline, Washington, 98155. And if you want to support our liberal biases, or even if you find them distasteful but have extra money and love the show and love me and Ken despite our politics. All our conservative small business owners, you all own car lots on the outside of medium-sized red state cities. Mm-hmm. You've got a lot of extra money. You, or you're making you, flags or cakes. You used it to fly to D.C. on January 6th, probably. But if you've got some left over and you want to show your beneficence to the other side of the aisle, to open-minded centrists like mm-hmm. John and myself, that's right. you can support us on our Patreon. I'm closer to the center than Ken, but we're both pretty close to the center. If there was a Lyme disease, uh, like... Uh, an inflammation on the arm of America <laughs> on a scale of one to 10. <laughs> like in all those times where I talked at length about anarcho syndicalism yeah. and tried to convince everyone of its validity. Don't keep that in mind. No, 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 no unless no, that no. makes you donate more. Is that compatible with Marxism? <laughs> Patre- Patreon is compatible with Marxism yeah, until good. all the podcasts are collectivized. Uh, this is the best we can do. A strong, a strong, you know, pay the worker directly. It's why we can't tax the rich. You mentioned the P.O. Box. Uh, somebody, and I don't, I don't know who this hero is, has signed us up for the Center for Land Use Interpretations um, Quarterly. Okay. The Lay of the Land. Okay, this is right out of my playbook. Dedicated to the increase and diffusion of knowledge about how the nation's lands are apportioned, utilized, and perceived. We have a cover story about the um, about the protection of the Adirondacks. Yeah. Which I think I just said weird. You put a T at why, the end. Why did I put a T at the end of Adirondacks? Because this is, this is omnibus. Just for fun. <laughs> but then there's also another story about omnibus, uh, omnibus, about Amazon fulfillment centers. Right, if which you, are increasingly one-third of the land yeah, surface of America. probably why. It explains what all the different QR codes on the outside of your Amazon label mean. This is fantastic. And I notice on the back, this is very interesting. On the back, this really oh, most of the, most of this issue is about the Adirondacks. Isn't this it? is almost a zine. It's it's zine level, but it's produced by this nonprofit, which is located on Venice Boulevard in Culver City. Uh, it looks like less than a block from the Jeopardy f- site. It's only a couple blocks from Sony, which means it's a block from the In and Out, where I sometimes grab a burger after Jeopardy. It's right next to the Museum of Jurassic Technology, which oh, I yeah. love. And I has ins- just there no and longer. has inspired uh, an omnibus about kill- uh, telling the bees. And less than two blocks from the Hare Krishna Temple, where I sometimes park. 
because there's a lot of uh, coming and going. Is that consistent with Mormon, Mormonism to, to park for free to at look, the Hare to look for, for uh, it's it's a street parking, right? But they're always coming and going. They're heading out to go to airports. flowers at the airport. Yeah, right. This reference Bank brought to you by the year 1978. <laughs> <laughs> so and I so I must have walked by the Center for Land Use Interpretation several. I'm gonna I'm gonna knock on the door next time. Next time you're there, please do. Also on the back, a picture, an aerial view of the Utah State Correctional Facility. Uh, where I used to live. <laughs> Wait a minute. I, actually, I don't remember you living at the correctional facility. When Mindy and I were first married, I lived in an apartment complex in Draper, Utah, right across the freeway from this, with the result that if you tried to look up the, um, what is it, the sex offenders list uh-huh. in our in our zip code. <laughs> it broke your computer? It broke my computer, because there were literally 6,000 sex offenders in my zip code. <laughs> and I was like, what is up with this apartment complex? And then I realized the the prison was right across the Can you the way. see the apartment complex in that photograph? No, here you're looking out toward Kennecott and the Copper. Oh, line. you'd be on the backside. So, of so that. we're looking the wrong. This could have been taken from a drone flying right above my apartment. I don't know. Hmm. Um, I, so I, so I, this this zine is oddly uh, relevant to my interests. Yeah, well, we're going to have to share it. Like we do all the things you send to Omnibus. That's 55744 Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Whoever subscribed us to the, to the lay of the land. Thank you. Thank you. We're already enjoying it. And remember to support the show at patreon.com slash omnibusproject. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. But if the worst comes soon, as seems increasingly likely, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the omnibus. 